editor of Rhythms Magazine. Welcome to the Rhythms Podcast. Well, Melbourne's deep into the 2019 International Film Festival, and there are plenty of excellent music documentaries, including The Gift, The Journey of Johnny Cash, directed by Thomas Zimney, my guest in this podcast, and made in collaboration with the Cash Estate. Thomas has a number of award-winning documentaries under his belt, and he's also been working with Bruce Springsteen for the past 18 years. He directed Springsteen's High Hopes, The Ties That Bind, the Grammy Award-winning Wings for Wheels, The Making of Born to Run, and the Netflix release Springsteen on Broadway, which we'll talk about towards the end of the podcast. He also directed the 2018 documentary Elvis Presley, The Searcher. During our conversation, he'll also tell you about his latest project, which just also happens to be with Bruce Springsteen, but that's towards the end of our chat. Thomas has also edited episodes of David Simon's acclaimed HBO series, The Wire, and directed music videos for Bob Dylan, The Low Anthem, and many others. And we begin our conversation with Thomas, talking about why he chose to make a documentary about Johnny Cash. You've directed some films on some fairly high-profile artists, previously can you tell us what specifically made you choose johnny cash sure you know having having worked on stories that deal with artists like bruce springsteen and and elvis presley johnny cash to me reminded me of those artists because he had such a dedication to the craft to the idea of living with the music and exploring the, the different types of sounds and storytelling devices it just reminded me of the energy of Bruce Springsteen, but also, you know, the growing up with music, like Elvis Presley. And I felt like with Elvis Presley, when I worked on that film, that there was a lot of things missing in the narrative. And the key thing with Elvis and Johnny Cash was the stories about the influences and, and the power of the music. Uh, working on these films many times, uh, certain stories are repeated and a shorthand develops about the history of these musicians. And I always hope to explore the details that are lost, not just checking a box that says Johnny Cash like gospel, but really looking at it closely and, and, and trying to examine the influence of, of musical genres and, and where it came from and and, um, and also how it played out throughout their lives, uh, with Johnny Cash especially. You worked recently on uh, Springsteen on Broadway, didn't you? Yes, I did. So was, that, was the Johnny uh, Cash film completed before you worked that matter afterwards? I actually was working on both films at the same time, which is a unique experience because the storytelling device on both of them was very different as a filmmaker, but also there were some universal themes of, of, of looking at you know, one's life and, and, and also relationships of fathers and, and, and the artist's search of dealing with their relationship with their, with their parents or father and, and also the influence of, of music in their lives. It was a really fascinating time to have both stories going full force. It's it's interesting in the structure of the film because Springsteen on Broadway has Bruce sitting on stage telling his story, just talking. Your documentary on Johnny Cash has Johnny and others just telling the story rather than having a whole lot of talking heads there. So in some ways, there's a kind of a similar structure in a way. I, I love the idea of being free in making these films that we don't have talking heads on screen because I'm trying to create a space 
that is a dream world, a dream world of Johnny Cash. So I'm spending a lot of time covering and discovering images, covering the film with images that haven't been seen before, images of Johnny Cash that really demonstrate the world that he grew up in, but also demonstrate a side of him that's very human. So I'm trying to take down the iconic imagery of him, and at the same time, I'm trying to keep us in a story with voices and having someone sit in a chair telling you in a contemporary mode, the story of Johnny Cash completely takes you out of the dream, the dream of going back in time and, and, and listening to these voices. And I had built the movie without shooting any interviews, but I had very limited amount of Johnny Cash. And then in the middle of the editing process, I luckily came upon and discovered 60 hours of Johnny Cash unreleased audio recordings that he had with Patrick Carr. And in those recordings, he was telling his life story without a camera crew, without anyone around. And he was revealing a side of him, both for the book, but also the audio itself was conversational and confessional. And in it, you hear the, the sound of Johnny Cash reflecting. And for me, that was the the, the, the best, the, that was the dream find as a filmmaker because it was bringing Johnny Cash into the cutting room and letting him tell his own story. I could have five authors and a musician say that Johnny Cash grew up and had a hard childhood, but hearing Johnny Cash say that his father told him he was wasting time listening to the radio, that was heart-wrenching. So I, I, I just felt like the experience was amazing to be working with Springsteen on Broadway, but also simultaneously working with these unreleased Johnny Cash audio tapes. And, and um, in some ways, it, it, it was a time I'll never forget because, uh, you know, the editing process is affected by all. What did you want to achieve with the film that hadn't been done in any previous documentaries about Johnny, and of course, there's also been a feature film. So what were you setting out to achieve from the, from the beginning? Because you must have had something in mind that you wanted to really get across. And, and there are a few things that come to my mind for that. But can you talk about that? Mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the things when you're making a film on a, an artist that has been covered by books and other films is that you start to look at what feels like it's missing. And with the Johnny Cash story, one of the key things was getting across the idea that he was a songwriter. And then the other thing was to really establish a sense of Vivian, his first wife, so that things don't fall into caricature and, and, and really showing the battle of his addiction to not be something that, with salacious detail, but something that really was continuous throughout his life and, and not make the narrative become just the shorthanded version that he meets June and is clean and everything is fine from then on. I really tried to explore the battles and the addictions and the conflicts, but also the spiritual side of his existence in a way that, that showed it as a journey that didn't get into the salacious details of exactly what he was doing, but got into the emotional content, which to me is much more interesting and, and much more universal and gives the viewer a point to step into it and say that's similar to me or someone I know. So I felt like my goal was to reveal a side of this artist that that went beyond if, what you knew if you were a casual fan or a deep fan, but at the same time not fall into anything too salacious and, and, and get too far from the idea that the music and his journey um, were, were, were the key focus. 
to to why I wanted to make the films. I mean, a lot of times these films end up not being about the music, and um, a lot of times the books fall into detail that, though accurate and 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 rich with details. I knew with Elvis Presley, I didn't want the Memphis Mafia ever discussed or gift giving. Mm-hmm. There's other sources that can do that job, but my job really is not to to explore those repeated themes. Um, it's really to try to get a sense of, of the man. And, and I've got to thank Roseanne and John Carter Cash because they, they opened up the estate vault to me and gave me access to recordings and photographs. And they really gave me the biggest thing as a filmmaker, which was trust and time to work with material. And um, you know, just trying to get a sense of, of the man as a father too. The gift refers to his voice and that was his mother's term for it, certainly. And, he, he had a remarkable voice and just talking about some of the pivotal moments in his life, one of the pivotal moment in the film in his life or one of them is his performance at Folsom Prison, which you spend some time on. Uh, can you talk about why that Folsom Prison concert was so pivotal in his life? It was an amazing performance, but more than that, it really changed his life in a way, didn't it? Folsom Prison, I was attracted to as a filmmaker because the set list itself seemed to reflect a movie I didn't make yet, which was a set list full of songs of redemption, fear, humor, country gospel, uh, a pure raw rock and roll danger. You know, that set list, Folsom Prison, and the sounds and sonic landscape that were captured on that recording was the perfect way to look at this film and also the perfect B story to go to to get a sense of Johnny Cash. So when I say the B story, I have the A story being the linear progression of his life, but the B story ends up being Folsom, which is something that that carries all the weight and power of the man in black, but also the, 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 the light and dark side of Johnny Cash. Folsom Prison to me was much more than just a special record and a recording, but it was in many ways a testament of, of the man's whole life story and um, the good and the bad of it. And uh, it was a I always like to find one moment in an artist's life that seems to be like the moment that they come back into the ring and fight for their lives. And with Elvis Presley, it was a 68 special. And for me, with Johnny Cash, it was Folsom Prison. Rodney Crowell says the album had always had, a, a, to him, a redemptive quality. And Roseanne says that he worked out his deepest problems on the stage with an audience, which I thought was a fantastic description of his relationship with the audience in that, in that performance and, and others. I, I think when you try to make these films, you look at and imagine what it must be like to be in the shoes of the performer. So the idea of Johnny Cash standing before a prison audience and knowing the, the traumas and, and, and difficulties he had before he got to that point and was standing before them, I, I felt like Cash's identity with the prison audience was a perfect way to, to show, A, how far he came in the journey and, and how stripped down he was when he reached Folsom emotionally, spiritually, and also that by looking directly into the eyes of the prisoners, in many ways, it was a reverse. So the, the Folsom prison served many purposes on establishing the many layers of Johnny Cash because he was a complex man. And, and the idea of standing before a prison crowd and acknowledging your own place, I mean, in, in some of those conflicts, but also having humor about it. And also going from a spiritual song to uh, a song of murder 
it, it captured for me the relationship that Cash had with his audience throughout, but also the intensity of the man that seemed to battle the light and the dark. And Tom, there's also the, uh, along with that, that gospel, I mean, and the religious element also seen in his love of gospel music. And in fact, you mentioned in the documentary that, um, you know, one of the contracts he signed was insistent on the fact that he could make a, a gospel record. And so you also show that other side of his musical personality. Well, the, the, the idea of gospel sometimes just gets introduced as a, a small note in, in, in these films. And I, I just feel like when looking at Elvis Presley or Johnny Cash, it's, it's, in the, it's important to acknowledge that Cash, when he went to Columbia Records, really it was an important detail to have that he was guaranteed that he was able to make a gospel record. And in many ways, I love the idea of how gospel serves as a grounding for all these artists to return to the place that originally connected them to the music, to the higher power of music. So they have these lives of celebrity at these moments, and, and they have these lives of, of conflict, either with addiction or the pure madness of traveling on the road or being a, a popular artist at the time. And it seems like they reboot or they start again by returning to the original force that connected to them. And, and many times that's gospel. I saw that with Elvis, and I saw it with Johnny Cash. The gospel served as a place to remind you of simpler times and also bring you a sense of peace in a life that at times might seem full of glamour and celebrity, but was really full of conflict with, with temptations and addictions. In fact, if I recall correctly, Tom, the only Grammy Awards Elvis won were for his gospel albums. It's correct. You know, it's, it's interesting that Cash and CBS Records, they, they, they didn't know what to do when Cash turned to wanting to promote a gospel sound, but he didn't want to have a presentation that locked him into one set of musical style. He wanted both worlds. He wanted the prison, and, and he wanted the danger and the humor, and he wanted the beauty, you know, the beauty of, of gospel and, and, and exploring his faith in song. Did you ever get to see him? No, I, I didn't see Johnny Cash in concert, no. And it's, it's a big regret, I have to admit. I was lucky enough to see him when he was with the Highwaymen. They came out to Australia, boy, must be 30 years ago now. So I was fortunate to see him then. That's so great. I, I just, I really wish I did. But, uh, you know, the hindsight of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, um, you commissioned Mike McCready of Pearl Jam to record a, a soundtrack. Can you, and can you tell us how that, why you did that and how that fits into the film? It's kind of like... I won't call it incidental music, but it's music that contributes to the overall sonic feel of the film, doesn't it? It does. Mike, Mike McCready, I, I'm really lucky as a filmmaker to collaborate with Mike McCready because he steps into the sonic landscape of these artists where he's able to reference certain qualities of their musical signature without copying or feeling like we're, we're, we're riding too far on their genre or sound. Mike McCready works in an amazing way by sitting together with me and talking about the themes that we're exploring with Cash or whether it's Elvis Presley. And for me, he's an essential part of building these movies. His guitar work creates a sonic landscape that gets across the idea of many abstract feelings. And I could sit with Mike and say, this is Johnny Cash at a moment that he's really happy and, and, and he's with his marriage and he's just had a son and this is the chapter we're living in. And, and Mike can take that sort of direction and ideas and create this musical landscape that is composed, felt, but never on top of our narrative or story or getting in the way 
of the central thrust of the movie moving forward. It's, it's, it balances perfectly on Bernice voices, but also works at a deeper level because it's so emotional and so intense. And for me, I'm, I'm really grateful to have the relationship with Mike and I would like to do every film I can with him. Also, I think you had Warren Zanes write the script. Is that right? Yeah. Um, the, Really, there was nothing of a written script. Everything was made in the editing room. Right. And Warren Zanes, for me, was uh, he, he's a writer and a friend, and, and, and he was somebody that, as a writer, I would use just simply to bounce around ideas and, and work on interview questions. But in terms of it being written by him or scripted, it's not really the case. It's something that you find in the cutting room through just pure experimentation and, and stumbling around. We talked before about the, the fact that there were no talking heads and it you mentioned that the estate gave you full cooperation in the use of material and it, and I was thinking while I was watching the documentary that a lot of directors who were trying to raise money for a film would be very tempted to use those interviewees on camera you know you've got some very high profile people there and that for a lot of people that would be almost an irresistible temptation well I understand the temptation of wanting to see someone on camera. You have Tom Petty or Bruce Springsteen or Robbie Robertson or Emmylou Harris. But the, the film, you really, for me as a filmmaker, you really have to stay in the space of serving the story. And what serves this story especially uh, best to keep you away from talking heads was the key thing. Because then you, you weren't lost with wondering about the details of where something was shot or where it came from. Or suddenly just the abrupt cut of someone sitting in a chair telling the story. There's films that that works for. I feel like with the world of Johnny Cash and Elvis Presley, you really need to step into a dream. And and for me, the best way was not to fall for the temptation of cutting to Bruce Springsteen on camera, but trust your gut that the sound of his voice uh, will, will create the musicality and the magic that you want. Springsteen, Johnny Cash, you know, you've got these iconic names in, in American music, and I'm wondering, uh, do you know what you're going to be working on next? Is it going to be a music documentary? Um, next film I'm actually working on is with Bruce Springsteen, and he co-directed it with me, and, and it's a film called Western Stars. Yeah. And uh, it's it's about, it's 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 got performance, and, and it's about the writing and uh, of that, the songs, and... and uh, it's a project that we're just finishing up now that will, will premiere in Toronto uh, in September. And uh, that's my next project. They were just going off to finish that after having a little bit of time here shopping for records in, in Australia. So I, I, I'm really grateful to work with all these artists. And, and I think, you know, I'm planning on to do, doing a few other projects uh, outside of music, but I, I, I love working with these stories and, I have a big connection to music all my life, so I feel really grateful just to have a chance to get out there and share these stories and be part of it. Well, you've already worked on the um, the video for Western Stars, haven't you? I have. That was a great, great day of shooting and a video. So it's it's been it's been great fun to work with Bruce again, and I've collaborated with him for close to twenty years. So um, this next film is really exciting. As we're coming to an end with it, it's just. I've really enjoyed working with him, and, and this is the first time that we've shared the responsibility of directing and it being a feature-length film. It's been a lot of fun. Can I, can I just go off on a tangent related to Bruce for just a second, if you don't mind? 
Sure, not at all. Western Stars is a tremendous album, and and I really like it. And it's it's quite different to some of the things that he's done recently, and this that terrific film clip and everything. But I'm I'm wondering how frustrating is it for an artist to release an album? It gets it certainly got to number one in Australia, but it's not in the top ten anymore. Where people are persistently going back and playing his old work, and while the new work will sell to fans can't get any radio airplay i don't know what the situation is in america but it must be incredibly frustrating i don't know um if it's frustrating for bruce and i i can't i don't want to speak for him i just know that um it's been exciting to watch it be number one around the world for me as a fan and for me you know i just i um i haven't i haven't really had a chance to feel like radio's represented things that I'm listening to for a long time. So my perspective of the States that I haven't heard things that I like on radio for a long, long time. And, and, um, you know, I just, I'm at a place of, of being able to, for me, I just accept it and still listen to the things I want to hear. And, and, and it's, it's great to be walking around and seeing it in the shops everywhere and, yeah. and knowing that he's an artist still creating and still hungry to create that, so. that, that was an amazing performance, and that's one of those shows that must have been an amazing experience. It was an amazing experience to watch him stand on that stage every night and, and also collaborate with him and John Landau in this way that we wanted to uh, really try to capture something that's really hard to put into words, which is the magic of theater and the intimacy. And at the same time, we wanted to take it a step forward and, and bring some things to light that you just cannot get in, a, in your best ticket. Uh, best best seat in, in the theater, which is to get closer to Bruce and be on stage with him in a way that captures the, the details of his eyes and the emotion. So th- there was a lot of different things we were trying for, and and it's exciting that it's nominated for an Emmy. And, and uh, again, I'm, I come from a place of being really grateful to work on these projects. Well, listen, Tom, thanks very much for your time. It's been great to talk to you, and congratulations you. on the film. And I think people are really going to get a lot out of the uh, Johnny Cash documentary that they may not have got before. And as you said, the it really makes you concentrate on his voice and his story and his music. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Thank you, and it was great chatting. You take yeah. care.